Hello and welcome to Young and Sober, the podcast where we discuss what it means to get sober under the age of 30 and to stay sober. If you're sober, sober curious or just curious, you've come to the right place. Any discussion here is an experience of the individual and should not be taken as the stance of AA as a whole. Welcome to episode 46. I'm Jack, along with my other host Lottie, and we'll be chatting to Hugo, who has come to talk to us about being young, sober and cross-addicted. How are you doing, Hugo? Yeah, very well, thanks, Jack. Glad to glad to kind of be on here and, and talking with you guys today. Quite excited. Great. Yeah, it's great to have you. And usually before we start, we have a listener question, which is a question from um, a new or regular listener. And this week, John has asked, um, so he's sadly relevant to the episode today, but he's asked, um, he's going to AA and CA at the moment and just deciding... Um, where to get his sponsor you know he's a couple of people that he likes at both of those meetings and he's wondering how to uh, best pick a sponsor and so he'd like to know or get advice on how to choose a sponsor between two different meetings well I mean I think this is it's a super individual question right and I was always told to to look for someone who's got something I want in a sponsor you know for for me I found my home in Alcoholics Anonymous other people find the home in CA you know various different fellowships you know I know we're going to touch on cross addiction in today's podcast, but my advice to anyone who's got a, a kind of question around sponsorship and when it comes to choosing a sponsor, I would always say look for for someone who's got something you want, whether that be an AA or CA. You know, that's that would be my advice, and that was the advice that was given to me, and what has worked for me so far in my recovery, anyway. Great, yeah, thanks, Hugo and Lottie. Any thoughts from you? Firstly, hello everyone. Super excited to be on the podcast today, and yeah, I mean. I would say exactly what Hugo said, to be honest. I've not actually been to another fellowship myself, although I've definitely been cross-addicted to many, many things. But what what I kind of hear in the rooms is that, you know, the, the programme is universal and that's why it's been so successful. That's why there's an NA, there's a CA, there's a GA, you know, there's so many different programmes and it's a 12-step programme of recovery. And I know people that have wanted to quit smoking and who have used the program to help them to quit smoking. I know people who have wanted to stop obsessively shopping and they've used, you know, being an AA, the program of AA, but they've just changed alcohol with powerless over shopping. So as Hugo said, I think if you see someone and you hear them and and you, you want what they've got, that is a great place to start. And often if they really feel like the, the main kind of addiction is not, in in the meeting that they're in or the fellowship they're in they will they will recognize that and they will guide you so my advice would be just just don't dwell on it too much you know put the action in just get a sponsor and they will help to kind of guide you what about you Jack? Yeah thanks Lottie um yeah same as as you guys I well actually my I, I did chat to my sponsor about it when I got a sponsor in AA and he said you know really if you have one strong what well, he advised me if you've got one strong primary addiction then you know maybe go with a sponsor initially in in that fellowship but like you said Hugo yeah it's pretty individual so if you feel like you'd benefit and you want to do two fellowships and you know given the same level of of commitment then there's no reason why you can't have two sponsors across different fellowships as as well I've heard of a couple of people that have multiple sponsors in AA but I don't know how, how advised that is but yeah thanks so much Hugo and Lottie cool and so Moving on to our topic of the week, it would be great, first of all, Hugo, just to understand a bit about your experience. Obviously, this is an AA podcast, but your experience in AA and, and what brought you here. Um, and then we can chat a bit more about cross-addiction along the way. 
Sure. I mean, cross addiction actually has a huge part to play in, in, in how I found Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a, it's a pretty kind of fitting topic for, for me, as I'm sure it is for a lot of people who are in AA. You know, some background on myself, I you know, started drinking in my early teens. You know, I grew up in the north of England. Don't think I ever really kind of drank normally. And when I say drank normally, what I mean by that is when I started drinking, I always kind of sought more i always wanted more of whatever i was drinking i never kind of had a, a casual beer or a casual glass of wine or whatever it was the first time i drank i actually blacked out and and there was a string of kind of blackouts early on in my drinking days as a teenager you know i i always remembered that kind of feeling of of just wanting more as soon as i started and, and I, I was i was very sporty you know i put a lot of rugby a lot of cricket and it was the kind of perfect environment for me to to kind of drink excessively. You know, I went to a school in the Lake District where where on a weekend we were allowed to go to the pub for a couple of hours. And that that kind of time slot for me was was pretty chaotic. You know, every single week without fail, I would I would get hammered. And I didn't think anything of it. You know, I didn't think anything of it because it was quite normal to be doing that in the environment I was in. I didn't stand out as a as a heavy drinker or as a someone who might drink alcoholically. You know, I, I very much fit in, you know, play hard sport, drink a lot, talk about girls, you know, all this kind of stuff. This was the environment I was in from, you know, 14, 15 to, to 18, basically. You know, I was I was more of a binge drinker than someone who was drinking every day. And I hear people talk about the yet, you know, and it hadn't got to the stage yet when I was a daily drinker. But, you know, I eventually would have got there for sure. It's a progressive illness, alcoholism. And I, you know looked on the outside like I kind of had my a little bit looked like I had my stuff together but but I, but I didn't you know and, and my drinking progressively got worse and you know I came to London when I was 19 years old I, I skipped university I didn't go and I, I came straight to work and uh, in the financial services and yeah without kind of getting into too many kind of intricate details around my drinking I was in a cycle where I would you know every single time I had a drink I wasn't I wasn't aware that I was powerless over the first drink I didn't I didn't have any understanding of that and every time I would drink, I'd pretty much get it wrong. You know, it wasn't every time at the start, you know, it was maybe like, I don't know, I'd get it wrong three out of 10 times, then it was four out of 10, then it was six out of 10. And eventually towards the end, I was getting it wrong most times I was drinking. When I say getting it wrong, I was ending up doing things that I didn't like, made me feel, made me feel very bad about myself, you know, regretful decisions, being dishonest, you know, the, the, the list really kind of goes on. And I found myself trapped in a cycle where each week I would make promises to myself that my drinking would improve, my life would improve, my habits would improve. You know, I'd eat better this week. I'd be a better friend. I'd I'd uh, be more consistent at work. You know, I wouldn't get drunk this week. I'd spend more time with my, my, my girlfriend, whatever it was. And every single week without fail, you know, I would find myself with a pint in my hand, maybe on a Wednesday or a Thursday, you know, in a social or work situation. And and it would kind of go wrong again. You know, it, it was always kind of everything to excess. And, you know, I... When I had a drink, I didn't know where I was going to end up. And at the end of my drinking, I looked at the, the alcohol and I really, really was quite scared by it because I didn't enjoy it anymore. I, I was terrified, in fact, because I, I looked at the glass and I just didn't know where I'd wake up. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen that night. You know, if I'd end up doing something, if I end up being unfaithful towards someone, if I'd you know end up hurting someone, whatever. Like, I just didn't know what was going to happen. And and that that for me was was you know right at the end of my drinking and i i stopped i stopped because the person i was in a relationship with was going to leave me because of it i thought it was very sad that i would i would lose a relationship because of uh, because of alcohol and uh, i put it down but i didn't i didn't seek help i didn't seek alcoholics anonymous you know i didn't 
think that I needed to. You know, I thought that the trick is not to have a drink at the end of time, which obviously is is, is what sobriety is about. But, you know, I didn't realize that I have a, a spiritual malady, you know, that I suffer from alcoholism. And um, as a result, I cross-addicted. You know, I removed alcohol, which was my coping mechanism for all the kind of thoughts and feelings that were coming in. It was the coping mechanism for my uh, for my thinking, which uh, is where the kind of root of my my illness lies. And I decided to exercise for three, four, five hours a day, you know, to avoid being with myself, to avoid feeling all those things that I was suppressing with alcohol. But I had no understanding or awareness at the time that I was using alcohol in that way. I had no understanding, I had no awareness that, that I was unable to kind of sit with myself and be with my emotions and feelings. You know, I thought I drank just like I drank the way I drank because, you know, I was, I was a big drinker and because I was a sports guy and because, you know, I was always the social extrovert and all this kind of stuff, you know, which I must've looked like on the outside. Uh, but, you know, I, I obviously didn't, I was very fearful, you know, I was full of fear, driven by fear even. And, you know, it was, it was a cross addiction with exercise, which actually brought me to my knees and brought me to Alcoholics Anonymous because I was effectively a dry drunk for the best part of a year, you know, for a year, I didn't seek the solution. I didn't go to Alcoholics Anonymous and find a sponsor, like we were saying earlier. I decided that I could medicate my alcoholism with exercise and with food. So I cross-addicted with these two things. And what did that look like? That looked like four or five hours of exercise a day, CrossFit, Barry's Boot Camp, various different things, uh, very unhealthy eating habits, a terrible relationship with food, a terrible relationship with body dysmorphia, various different things here. you know. And after a year, I, I battered my body so hard trying to run away from those feelings and emotions that came up when I removed alcohol that I was on the operating table twice having hernias, having hernia repairs, you know, because my body was, was just in pieces, in bits, you know, physio three times a week, an osteopath, surgery, all these various different things. And I, I was fortunate to have people in the program who, who could see my descent into madness with this exercise. And they, they reached out their hands to me and they, they said, you know, if you don't, do something about this, you are going to drink again. You are eventually going to drink again because you are just cross-addicting with exercise. You're not living in the solution. You're living in the problem. You know, you are avoiding what you need to work through, what you need to process. And uh, I didn't believe them. But at the point where I had the hernias and I had the surgery, I was in pieces. I was ready to accept it. I was ready to accept help because the thought of spending time in my head at that point was unbearable, absolutely unbearable. You know, physical pain from the operation, mental pain from my alcoholism and, and and that's what led me to the rooms you know that's what brought me to the point of that was that was my gift of desperation we should say that was my emotional rock bottom because I had a rock bottom when I was drinking when I put alcohol down that was an emotional rock bottom that was a gift of desperation and the funny thing is at the time I thought my life was ending I thought that was it I thought game over exercise is being stripped from me my life's going to you know finish and in hindsight it was one of the best things if not the best thing that ever happened to me because it, it brought me to the solution you know it brought me to Alcoholics Anonymous you know, so that's a kind of, uh, I suppose, a bit of background on, on my story and my drinking and how I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. But yeah, without kind of going deep dive into a, a full experience, strength and hope share, that, that kind of is my experience with cross addiction coming into the rooms. But my God, my experience has been so different since because, you know, cross addicting has been a huge part of my story in, in, in my recent times in recovery as well, you know, let alone my first year. Thanks so much, Hugo. You know, that was amazingly honest and super, super important actually to share and that's why um, I was so excited to have you on the podcast because I really think it's something that a lot of people can relate to myself I, I 
you know, I'm very lucky. I haven't had to seek help for other addictions, but I have definitely, definitely gone through phases of trying to escape where I'm at by using different things. I mean, as you were talking, I was kind of reflecting on the things that I, I have used to change the way that I feel. And I've written down, you know, from restricting food to shopping to coffee to ice cream. Like, I'm not joking, I got fully, fully addicted to ice cream to the point where I was having one a day, which is fine. That doesn't sound a lot. But then I went after about four months of having an ice cream every day, I would get anxiety if I didn't have an ice cream. And I would feel like really hard done by, you know, in life. And I went to my dentist and he was like, Lottie, honestly, what has happened to your teeth? Have, you know, has there been a change in your diet? And I was so ashamed, like almost like, you know, that feeling when you've been drinking and someone knows you've been drinking, but you don't want to admit it. It was like that. I was like, oh, actually, I've got really into ice cream. And he was honestly like, this is no, you know, you've got like four fillings. This is not acceptable. But the reason that I share this is because for me, I'm an addict. And that's why, you know, I do relate to people who identify themselves as an addict because I can get addicted to anything that changes the way that I feel. And, you know, whether that's, I always have to go through this cycle of basically getting to kind of an emotional rock bottom, as you talked about, or a physical rock bottom, i.e. going to the dentist and all my teeth falling out before I, I, I can recognise that it's no longer serving me, that addiction is no longer serving me. And it's something that I have to work on all the time. I would say I've got about four addictions running through my life right now. You know, I've got, I'm, I got really addicted to F1, which is actually not a harmful addiction. I'm, I'm, you know, very into it still, but I really have to watch myself and work a program and, and, you know, really be careful at what, what is serving me and what is not serving me. Jack, I don't know what, what you think about that. Yeah, thanks Lottie. And yeah, interesting listening to the Hugo because weirdly exercise brought me to AA as well. I had to find something to prove that I wasn't an alcoholic and, and you know, the way to do that was through achieving bigger and bigger goals in, in, in exercise. And, you know, it all kind of came tumbling down when, and I realized I, I couldn't stop drinking when I was training for a long distance triathlon and, and I just couldn't stick to my training plan. I'd stick to it for two weeks, but the same as you, I would go a hundred percent exercise hit it every day for two weeks and then just break and then drink for four or five days then get back on it for two weeks and so it was really that addiction to like you said not being in your own head and <laughs> and avoiding you know feelings that was the same and then out the other side of you know when I stopped drinking as well you still have to be careful I, I still have to be really careful with it I you know the, the big things for me since I stopped drinking exercise was was one but work became a, a huge other one and, and I just you know every hour that I was in the pub Wednesday Thursday Friday night you know became 9 10 p.m in, in the office and then I'd get to Friday and just and just collapse and then it moved on to I thought I was being clever trying to, you know, get myself out of my debt by, by trading cryptocurrency. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at that for two hours a day. And, and, you know, that's actually, I saw an article online. There's a, a rehab that is starting specifically a cryptocurrency related practice because there's so many people who 
are it's basically just you know a gambling app in a, in a different in a different guise and and you know using things like that to, to escape their emotions so really yeah your, your story sounded you know a lot of similarities with with mine and but I was actually interested just in terms of you know you said that you kind of stopped drinking for a while without AA and then you just doubled down on on exercise how come you decided that you know it was AA that how did you get to the point that you decided that it was AA that you you needed um and you know that was going to solve um your your problem at the time well I I, I had been you know, I was introduced to AA by a friend of mine who was who was getting sober at the time. And like, you know, I was always I was aware that there was a serious problem with alcohol. You know, like I say, I never drank normally. Um, but I thought the whole point of Alcoholics Anonymous was to was to not have a drink. And obviously that's the entry level, right? The the, the base level for us is to not pick up a drink a day at a time. But the real work is is done when we're sober, when we when you know, when the drink's gone, we start with the real work, you know, around our thinking. You know, you hear it all the time, you come for your drinking, you stay for your thinking. And I had friends who were, were holding that door open for me, you know, who, you know, were, were really helping me understand that I wasn't addressing the, the problem. I was just avoiding it. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, when I came back to London after having that surgery, I went to a, a meeting at Eaton Square and I heard a chap doing a chair that lunchtime and, and I could really relate to what he was saying. For the first time, I kind of really listened because whenever I went to an AA meeting prior to that, I didn't really want to be there. I wasn't really engaged, didn't speak to anyone. I never shared, I never, never engaged with the program at all. I, I just showed up every now and then thinking, you know, whatever, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll listen to some war stories and I'll leave. And, you know, when I, when I asked this chap for help, it goes back to what I said earlier, actually. I saw someone who had something I wanted. And what that was, was peace of mind and, 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 and ease in the way he conducted himself. Because I, I hadn't really known that in my life, you know. I was always very kind of energetic, you know, I was all, I was, I was always very irritable, restless, discontent. It's such a superb description for alcoholism as that, that, you know, irritable, restless, discontent, you know, because that's exactly what I was my life, my whole life. And I saw someone sitting there who was a similar age to me. He came in at 24 years old. I got, I got sober at 24 and, and I wanted what he had. So, you know, I saw that when I came into that room about that, that meeting, that AA meeting. And I asked him to sponsor me the next day, you know, and, um, you know, the suggestion was do 90 meetings in 90 days, get service positions, you know, go to meetings, talk to other alcoholics, engage, you know, share, put your hands up. You know, it, it's not about just going to a meeting. It's about putting in the action a day at a time was what I was told. And, you know, every fiber of my body didn't want to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. But, I, you know, looking back now, I would spend three to four hours or whatever it was in a gym every day, pretty much. You know, for me to, to sacrifice an hour a day to go to an AA meeting, which could potentially change my life, save my life, for sure, you, know, you know, not just change it. It was a small price to pay. And I, and I did it. You know, I did the 90 meetings in 90 days and it kind of built the foundation that my recovery is built on, to, you know, that my recovery is, is, is on today. You know, it all goes back to that start where I really started to engage with people and connect with other people and, and, and help others and not, you know, not just be inherently self-centered in my thinking, which was my kind of default position previously. So AA, AA, I don't know, AA has always felt like home to me. I've tried other fellowships. I've been to 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 AA, to NACA. I've been to, you know, I've been to, I go to food fellowships as well. You know, I've been to OA, I've been to, a, you know, ABA. I've been to all sorts of different fellowships because, you know, my my addiction, my alcoholism, it, it, anything for me that changes the way I feel, I can do obsessively. And trust me, I've got a list as long as my arm of things that I, I've tried to do to avoid feeling things. And you know, I have a period, I see it as a pyramid, my recovery. And, you know, the, the bottom line for me is not picking up a drink or a drug. That's the bottom line.
but I've got other things on top of that. You know, there are things around food. There are, there are, there are kind of guidelines I have around food. I don't, you know, nicotine was something I managed to stop in, in, in sobriety. I couldn't, I could not for the life of me stop smoking or vaping, but I managed it a day at a time, you know, with, with the help of, uh, of others in AA, you know, there are social media, you know, I deleted social media, you know, maybe nearly two years ago now, you know, yeah, you know, sugar, you know, I, I, I had a recent slip on sugar, but for the best part of 18 months, I don't, you know, a day at a time, I don't have sugar, you know, to have that in my life. It's, it's something that doesn't work for me, you know, and I've been on my own journey with all those things I've mentioned to you, but a day at a time, I don't need to do them anymore because I have a program that I can use, you know, and when I don't, when I'm not close to the program and I don't prioritize it and I don't put my recovery first, you know, those things change. You know, I just said to you, I had a slip on sugar recently. The reason I had a slip on sugar recently is because I was so heavily, you know, heavily cross-addicting with something else that I prioritized it over my recovery. You know, you mentioned work. It was the same for me. You know, it's work. The year of 2021, for me, I prioritized work, just like I prioritized exercise in that first year. You know, I'll be four years sober in, a, in, a, in just over a month and um, a day at a time, God willing. And, you know, my fourth year had a lot of similarities to my first year, huge amounts of cross addiction, you know, huge amounts. And as a result, you know, those standards I set myself, that pyramid I'm, I've been building for years now in terms of my recovery, it started to chip away. You know, the signs are there, the flags were there that things aren't great and that things aren't going as well as they should, not as well as they should be. But, you know, let's just say the warning signs were there that I wasn't working a program, you know, I wasn't prioritizing Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, what happens when I do that is that I put my recovery at risk. You know, I've heard someone say that you put anything ahead of it, you'll lose it. I lost my exercise. You know, I had to be on an operating table, couldn't move, you know, and, and, and you know, I've heard plenty of stories of others who have put prioritized various different things ahead of, of AA and, and, and those things have been removed from their lives. You know, it's, it's for me, it's, it doesn't work unless I, I prioritize it, you know. How do you find you go like, so food and exercise are things that people, you know, who might be wanting to stop drinking think that are important to, you know, well, obviously you need to eat and it's healthy to, to have some level of exercise. AA is a abstinence based program. Can you just explain a little how you've dealt with, you know, those things which you may want to limit rather than, you know, stop completely and how that compares to, you know, your AA program? Sure. It's, it's something I must say, it's something that is very individual to people this in terms of, you know, food and, and, and exercise. So this what I can share is purely my experience around it. It's, it's very individual to, to the person I had, as I said, issues around exercise and issues around food. You know, I, I uh, never had a healthy relationship with food for as long as I remember. You know, I over exercised clearly, as I explained earlier. And, you know, I mentioned body dysmorphia, you know, when I was in peak physical condition, shall we say, I was never big enough and I was never lean enough, despite, you know, having no fat on me and, and you know, being what would be considered to be quite a muscular build. So my point was, it was never enough for me when I was in that very unhealthy space exercising. And, um, you know, my, my eating was out of control. You know, I, I'm, I'm powerless over sugar and I'm powerless over flour is the easiest way for me to kind of explain it in a very, in a nutshell. So I have to remove those things from my, from my diet, just like I'm powerless over alcohol. And I have a physical allergy when I start to drink. I have a physical allergy when I have sugar or when I have flour. So I remove those things from my diet and I have three meals a day. That's what I do food wise. And, and I follow a food plan, which I, which I work through with a sponsor in Overeaters Anonymous. And that for me has been life changing and it, you know, it doesn't work for everyone because I've tried other fellowships around food. I've tried various different things around food. And the only thing that, that, that works for me is, is a, is a kind of a, a food plan that I know I can follow. And, you know, it, it, 
again is super individual and i have i have great people around me who have great food recovery so it's, I, I i have people i can seek counsel from and talk to on this kind of stuff and i've seen them live and breathe it and 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 the change it's had in them you know and i'd say it was it's important to kind of have a sponsor or someone that you check in with around food because if not you know you you can very quickly fall into that place where you're over restricting and losing lots of weight or you're overeating and gaining lots of weight and you know it's 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 um it's a very insidious thing, I think, an eating disorder or or, or uh, issues around food and exercise, because you know society, you know, we're kind of we're we're kind of rewarded for looking in peak physical condition. Yet when I was in, and I say peak physical condition, but you know, when I was in, let's say, good shape, I had everyone telling me how great I looked. I had all this attention as a result of it, but inside I was dying and and killing myself basically, you know. Yeah. It's interesting you say that, Hugo, because I feel like that can be very similar when it comes to alcohol, because you can, you know, as you were talking, I was reflecting also on my addiction with social media that I had and my addiction with wanting this absolutely perfect life with a perfect boyfriend, with a perfect physique, with a perfect flat, you know, all of those things. And I think that People can congratulate you on what is seemingly a very sociable, you know, busy, kind of proactive life. You know, oh, you're always out. You're always with everyone. Like, you're so sociable. You've got so many friends. And actually, what can be going on inside is a complete the opposite. You know, you can be completely falling apart. And, the only, you know, you're, you're doing all those things because you're hiding yourself within a room full of drinkers. And I think that, that there is this danger in in society today of of yeah quite unhealthy habits kind of being seen as 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 kind of yeah something that is very very positive and and admired almost yeah i i really really related to everything you said there hugo about food and i think that ultimately once you once you get sober and you strip back from whatever it is you know for us that was alcohol that was our primary you you uncover all of these other ways that you have been literally hanging on to a cliff edge you know you've been you've been on the edge of survival using all of these different things to try and stay afloat and I think you know what AA has given me is certainly the opportunity to look at those things and to be aware enough to know that they are not serving me Mm. and I can't speak for you but I'm sure that had you not got sober you would never have been aware enough to know that you had another choice you didn't have to keep over-exercising. You didn't have to stay in that. No one's got a gun to your head. And I think that is what the most amazing thing is, is that we we regain that choice and that that kind of sense of control. You know, I know that we've got a higher power who is, in, is a big boss and is in charge of everything, but we can put in the right action. And that, I think, is something that not not many places around the world have. You know, I feel really blessed to be part of a fellowship that offers that. I don't know if you want to add anything, Jack. Yeah, I was just going to, I thought he said around, you know, gives you, the, AA kind of gives you the awareness. I think, like, if you, if I speak to my friends who aren't in any fellowship about, you know, social media or drinking or whatever it is, and they're kind of, they think, like, maybe it's a bit unhealthy, but because everyone is doing it around them, it's so normalised it's then they find it hard to question themselves and their behavior whereas I think for us like when you've gone into AA and you've kind of had a rock bottom and then look and then kind of look at drinking in a completely different way 
only then you, for me was I able to like say actually there are other things which are actually addictive behaviors in my life whereas I think before I would have just said oh it's you know maybe I looked at social media too much today or and like you said Hugo like some people from you know who haven't stopped drinking or just kind of interested in AA might think like you know cutting out sugar and flour and you know for me it was the cryptocurrency stuff but it's like only when you have a sober mind and you can see how your these things are affecting your head like on a daily basis can you recognize that actually you know over a consistent period of time that you you'd be better off without them and that like it is possible to live without them and <laughs> you don't need them in in your life you know because it's that same cycle isn't it looking at social media you know I used to before I came in I was a massive restrictor I did insane things like you know I was eating 400 calories a day and then going to the gym for an hour and a half you know stuff like that and essentially it's like you're going back to an unhealthy and a, and, and a self-flagellating activity which for me was looking at women in bikinis you know fitness models in bikinis and that would then trigger in my head oh you're not good enough you're not this you're not that you know guilt shame all of those things in the same way with my drinking you know it would when I would have a massive blackout I would then feel guilt and shame and it's this perpetual cycle of just constantly berating myself and not feeling good enough you know making promises that then I couldn't keep unrealistic promises like don't eat more than 400 calories a day and I think that it's that it's this like addictive messed up thing that we're attracted to that that it just makes us feel awful and I think that having the opportunity to step away from that you know whether that's not eating ice cream every day for four months because actually that made me feel the same feelings of guilt and shame and like you know yeah I think it's an incredible opportunity for, for us to step away from that and it's really not easy it's not like I don't want anyone listening to think oh it sounds so easy you know I'm absolutely not a saint and I think Hugo and Jack would probably say the same it's a constant daily practice of not beating myself up if I do something that doesn't serve me but just recognizing it and and putting in the action and the work to try and overcome that um for sure and one thing I'd say is like the things I've mentioned that I've removed it's not like I've removed them because I had like a, like a, they caused me a little bit of pain. Like I removed all those things that, that I mentioned because they called me serious, dis- they caused me serious discomfort. You know, I didn't stop eating sugar because I just ate a few too many chocolate bars. You know, it was a real problem for me. And the, the easiest way I would say it would be, you know, I, I, um, I looked at the positives and negatives of my drinking and the negatives, like, you know, I don't think there were any positives left. So it was just negative. So I remove alcohol, you know, I remove drugs. You know, it, then it comes to the nicotine. I can't stop vaping. I vape in the night. I vape on a plane. I vape in a car. I vape in the office. I vape everywhere. It's like, I've got to remove this. You know, I'm carrying around 10 vapes and all these cartridges. It's crazy. You know, so I removed the vapes. You know, and it gets down to the sugar and stuff like that. It's because, you know, I've had so many instances where I, I overeat, you know, on sugar and feel terrible about it. And, you know, that's one thing I will say on the food and the exercise stuff is, you know, you've got to ask yourself, like, why you're exercising the way you're exercising if you are pushing yourself so hard. Like, you know, I, I now ha- I have a little bit of awareness around it through my experience that I can still have those days where I feel a little bit uncomfortable. And then I go, right, let's go and exercise. You know, let's go and hit the bike for a bit. And then I'm like, whoa, hold on a minute. Why am I doing that? Am I doing that because I want to run away or am I doing that because it's a positive thing for me to do? And it's like a it's like a self-care thing, you know. 
or like if I feel uncomfortable at work, sometimes I can be like, oh God, let's order some food. You know, it's like people talk about comfort eating. They talk about taking the edge off it with alcohol. You know, what, what do those things mean? What they mean is I feel a little bit uncomfortable. What can I use to make me not feel this uncomfortable feeling? You know, that, that's, that's my, you know, what, what I kind of experienced with it recently. And the, the, the you know, what recovery has enabled me to do is not reach for those things to suppress and avoid, but to sit with the uncomfortable feelings, process and move through them and come through to the other side. And that's the growth, right? That's the growth that, that wasn't taking place when I was basically unconscious, using every single thing I could get my hands on to suppress things, to, to having moments of consciousness. And don't get me wrong, you know, I, I, have, I have moments of being present, but I have plenty of moments of not being present, plenty of moments where I struggle to, to, to be still and, 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 and peaceful, but I have plenty of moments where I am peaceful. And that's only because of the work that comes through in, in, in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's, well, that's the only thing that's worked for me anyway, you know, and I've tried, like I've said, everything basically. Yeah, I love that. I love what you just said, Hugo. And it, it's that hole in the soul that people talk about. It's like, I imagine just a, like a, like a, just a massive gaping hole within me and I will do whatever I can to fill that hole up. I will shop. I will eat ice cream. I will drink 10 liters of coffee. I will get obsessed with running. I will do whatever I can to fill that hole within me up because it doesn't feel comfortable to have that. But actually what the program allows me to do is to know that I'm, I'm not broken, I'm not empty. All that I need is, is in myself. I don't need all those things to feel complete. And I just wanna share this. I, I heard an amazing podcast by my girl, Oprah, and she interviewed another amazing woman called Glennon Doyle and, and back in 2017. And, and she said this amazing thing that really just, I, I think is nice to end on, which is, she was talking about kind of her rock bottom and I guess this refers to cross addiction as well like trying to fill that hole and she said that you know there's so many material things that we can get obsessed with or feel like we need but actually all that can be taken they can all be taken away from you like you can get a hernia so you can't exercise you can you know lose all your money and not go shopping you know all of those things can be taken away from you but all that the three things that can't be taken from you is your faith, your hope, and your love. That will never go. So the more that I focus on putting in the work to, you know, feel gratitude for my faith, to work on my faith, the more that I feel hope, the more that I work on my loving connections, those are the things that are gonna never go, you know? And I think that that is something that I forget all the time, but that's the truth for me anyway so yeah I just wanted to end on that I don't know Jack if you want to add anything else before we start wrapping up no that was that was great Lottie I think yeah it just seems like a it, with cross addiction it's just for me just been a journey like Hugo said it's like none of you can't stop everything straight away the first day that you come into to AA and only after a while and after experiencing pain can you like does you your body and your mind react to that to make a change and you know sometimes that can take whether it's yeah smoking or food or exercise or whatever it can take months it can take years but I, th I guess the only advice I'd give to people who are you know listening to this wanting to stop drinking is focus on the that that's you know focus on what's going to kill you first and and you know alcohol is is usually drugs is, is usually the one that you you know need to focus on and don't worry about all the other stuff I beat myself up plenty of times for 
continuing to smoke and you know various other stuff and and you know it will come with with time and you know still working on a lot a, a lot of things but yeah just don't beat yourself up for not being able to <laughs> do it all at once because um there's you know a lot of work to be done in the meantime yeah well thanks so much jack finally we end this podcast by saying something that we're grateful for today hugo what is something that you are grateful for today i think it's the the you know one thing i always kind of write about on gratitude list is connection with with those close to me and you know when when i'm prioritizing kind of my my well-being and my recovery you know it 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 really it really shows in 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 my kind of relationships with close friends and family so i think one thing that i would say i'm grateful for is 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 the relationships that i have with, with close friends and family today because they are so far from where they were you know just over just under four years ago and and they're so far from that kind of first year when i was when i was a dry drunk and and, and that's because you know it, this this program enables me not to be inherently self-centered and, and and thinking about myself but but you know what i can bring to to relationships to friendships what where i can kind of you know help others and 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 connect and that's that's something i think that i'm you know incredibly grateful for is is, is the connection with people i have today because you know i hadn't experienced that beforehand really you know i was very good at, at kind of being a chameleon in rooms and, and, and socializing with people but today I have kind of real friendships so that's one thing I'd say. Jack? I'll actually agree with with Hugo I think you know my I've, I've got more friends in, in AA but what's really outside of AA has, has changed is someone you know relationships are like compound interest it's like the, over time you build relationships and for me the relationships I've had outside of AA I have just continued to you know friends from school who like I've always had a friendship with but just those relationships got so much better so much stronger you know over the last 18 months and and you know to the point where I'm now I'm seeing them you know pretty much every weekend when I was seeing them maybe once every three months beforehand and you know again that's what that's what I've done this weekend and it's probably what I'll do next weekend and yeah I am really grateful for that how about you Lottie? Thanks, Jack. And thanks, Hugo. Yeah, completely agree with you guys. I am grateful for the fact that I don't have to play Russian roulette with my life and my future when I have a massive feeling. Because for me, when I had a massive feeling, whether it was I was super excited, I got a job, I was happy, I was sad, I would just, you know, anesthetize myself with alcohol. And for me, that was that was really playing Russian roulette, because as Hugo said, I didn't know where the hell I was going to wake up and what I was going to have done. So I'm just super grateful that I don't have to do that anymore. I can go to a meeting or I can call a fellow. And for me, that is freedom. So with that, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back next week with a a topic. Please like and subscribe if you have any questions or any feedback about what you've heard today. We would love to hear from you. Send us a message on Instagram at Young and Sober Podcast or email us at youngandsober at outlook.com. That's it for yet another episode. We are young and we are sober.